Right, if you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 20. We're actually going to finish the chapter today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. We're now in part 3 of our series, Church Life. Say that. Now, more enthusiasm, say Church Life. And before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. It was verses 12 through 17. I gave you four points, and the first point was the servant, say the servant, and that's in verse 12. And what Paul does, Paul begins uh, thanking God for the, the spiritual power needed for his ministry, and he refers to himself as an example of one whom Jesus Christ, the Lord, say the Lord, enabled him to serve effectively, who put him in the ministry to serve. And Paul had been tested and founded to be faithful and trustworthy. The second point of last week's text was the sinner and salvation. Say that, the sinner and salvation. And Paul begins by giving an insight into his former life. And he says, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. But then Paul says, I was shown mercy, someone say mercy, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Say abundantly. Not only is God's grace more than abundant, Paul's saying, but also, he says, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, when when grace came into Paul's heart, life, right, in his life, it brought with it faith and love. In other words, it allowed Paul to love God and other Christians he had formerly hated. Got it? And he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel. Then he says this, of whom I am the worst. And this reveals the depth of his personal sorrow over his sin. I am the greatest of sinners. And this awareness of his sinfulness deepened the, the gratitude of God's mercy and of God's grace in Paul's life. The third point was the showpiece. Say the showpiece. And Paul's salvation not only reflected God's glory, I love this, but also became a, a model or a sketch or a pattern, a display, if you will, a showpiece for others to see what God has done in Paul's life. And the fourth point was the song. Say the song. And Paul closes with a song of praise. And, and after recalling his experience of, of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, after remembering what uh, he was before Jesus found him. And all that Jesus had done for him and through his life, he was compelled, he was moved to worship and praise God. And he burst into a doxology of praise and into the glory of God. And in his outburst of praise, Paul gives four wonderful designations for our God, great God. And he describes God in his unique attributes. And he says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. And then Paul, what he does, he ascribes to God the glory due to his name. And he says, be honor and glory. I love this forever and ever. Amen. Say amen. So be it. This now brings us to today's text. The title of today's message is Fight or Fall. Say that. Now, now Paul, Paul believed Timothy was God's man to wage war against false teachers, against false doctrines. And, and satanic forces that were in the church. Because leaders, pastors, have been commanded, say commanded, commanded by God to battle and fight the good fight, to see to it that the church becomes a pillar and support of the truth of God's word. Can someone say amen? Two points, if you're ready, say yes. 
Number one is the charge. Everyone say that. The charge. Write that down. Look at verse 18. The charge, verse 18. And Paul writes, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction or this command or this charge in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight. So, so Timothy was equipped. He was called and now given a solemn charge, charge to fight the battle well, to fight the good fight. And Paul not only, get this now, Paul not only speaks to Timothy as a son, but also as a soldier. Got it? Let's break down the text. I give you this instruction. The instruction of this verse is the command back in verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me. Go back to verse 3. This is the command, right? The instruction of this verse. This is the command back, it's back in verse 3. As I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not, not to teach false doctrines any longer. Got that? So the instruction of this verse, verse 18, is the command back in verse 3. Tell these guys to quit it. Quit teaching false doctrine. False teachers, we know the story. False teachers had infiltrated the church, and Paul called Timothy to command them to stop teaching false doctrine. And there was a war going on in the church over the souls of the Ephesian Christians. And Paul is giving Timothy a charge, a charge. This is a military word conveying urgency and response and obligation to obey. Someone say obey. It refers to a superior issuing commands to a subordinate. You guys with me? In other words, say with me now. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy that he has the responsibility to obey his words. Timothy, I have a heavenly order that you're obligated to urgently carry out. I'm giving you this order, and you are to carry it out. That being said, the same is true for every single believer. The first step in walking with God, listen now, listen now, lies in our willingness to obey His revealed will as it is in His written word. Got it? You're safe, say amen. We have a mandate. I love that, say mandate. To obey God's word. Got it? And you see, our obedience proves that we love God, and our obedience also proves that we're saved by His grace. Now let's go back, look at the text. This, 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 uh, this, let's break this down. Look at the text again. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies, say prophecies, once made about you. So Paul reminds Timothy of the prophecies that have been issued concerning his life. So Timothy is to flesh out, flesh out those prophecies through his life and ministry for the glory of God. Now, we don't know when these prophecies were made, nor the content of these prophecies, but they helped set the course for Timothy's life. Someone say amen. They might have been made when Paul left Timothy in Ephesus uh, to pastor the church. They might have been from an earlier time, perhaps even when Timothy uh, received some of his spiritual gifts in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy 14 and also 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Now I want to say this about prophetic direction. I want to say this about prophecy. Prophecy or prophetic direction should always line up with Scripture. Can I get an amen? 
and never replaces nor contradicts Scripture. Got it? Listen, Christians, we got to be discerning and use the Word of God. Amen? Let's go to the text now. So that by following them, following them what? The prophecies Timothy had received, you might fight the good fight. Say, fight the good fight. So Timothy is reminded that he has that he has not enlisted in God's army to play on the playground, but to fight on the battleground. And we know this, right? This in the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. Now, notice Paul says, fight the good fight. Not a good fight, the good fight. Say, fight the good fight. The word fight there, and I want you to get this, signifies a campaign rather than a single battle. Okay? In other words, it's a marathon race, not a 100-yard dash. We've got to get that. And the enemy, the enemy, we know who he is, right, will try to trip us up and get us to drop out of that race, of that fight. You guys with me? Now follow me. So to serve the Lord faithfully, we've got to realize, get this now, that we're in, listen, we're in, we're in it for the long haul. Okay, it's not a sprint. It's not a 100-yard dash. We're in it for the long haul. And let me say this, it's not going to be easy. Can I get an Amen. That being said, to be honest, some Christians get all excited about ministry, but they burn out. Others get excited until problems hit, and then they, they quit. Others bail out when they catch criticism, which you will, <laughs> okay? Others expect instant results, and when that doesn't happen, they get discouraged, and they what? They, they quit. Others are so excited about ministry, they don't get any kind of training, and they run dry after a while. And so my point is this. All of these problems could be solved if we would just realize that the ministry to which God has called each one of us to, okay, is a lifetime campaign, not a sprint, a lifetime campaign against a very powerful enemy. Not more powerful than God himself, but he's powerful, the enemy, right? Now, if you're safe, say amen. From the moment that you and I got saved, at that moment we have entered into God's army. We signed on the dotted line. We're now in God's army and have entered into a spiritual battle. Right? And this is precisely what Paul is reminding Timothy about. That he's in a spiritual warfare and needs to be aware of this. And that his enemy, Satan, is battling against God and God's purposes and Christians as well. And he's saying, Timothy, you're in a battle, guy. And every single Christian is in a battle. And I want to tell you, friends, the world, the flesh, and Satan will try to cause us to become shipwrecked. Right? But thankfully, someone say, thankfully, it's a battle that we can win. If, say if, we appropriate the spiritual resources provided for us by God. Amen? Now listen, we are to recognize as believers the nature of the battle that we're fighting. And that nature is this. It's a spiritual battle. That's the nature of the battle. Ephesians, right? You guys know this, right? Ephesians 6, verse 12, Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did you get that? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The weapons with, with which we are to fight this battle 
are spiritual in nature. That's what Paul is driving at. And Paul is simply telling Timothy and all believers, this battle, listen now, is a battle to fight, and we dare not run away from it. Amen? Fight the good fight. Don't run away. Don't quit. Fight the good fight. Now I want to point out something here. The fact that Paul encourages Timothy to fight the good fight, to fight the battle well, listen now, implies that it's possible to not, to not fight well or not even fight at all. Right? And sadly, this is the reality of some Christians. And some get caught, caught in sin and, and stop advancing. Uh, some, some fall in love with the world and the things of the world and become spiritually lethargic. Some, by encountering some difficulty, they get discouraged and want to give up. Some get trapped in false doctrines. And you see many, because of one or more of these factors, stop fighting the good fight and turn away from the faith. And Paul encourages Timothy to fight well, and we must do the same. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. you got to fight this. Amen? And now what I love about Paul is he gives Timothy two things that commends Timothy in fighting his good fight. Two things, two weapons that gives Timothy the courage, say courage, and desire, say desire, to fight the good fight. Well, look at verse 19a. Verse 19a. Holding on to faith, say faith, and a what? A good conscience. A what? Good conscience. Now, it's not enough just to have correct doctrine. It's good to have correct doctrine, and we should, right? Good enough, okay, it's not good enough just to have that. We should have that. But the Christian soldier must also have correct living. <laughs> right? Correct living. Not just correct doctrine, but correct living. And that's where faith and a good conscience come in. And this is what Timothy and every single believer that we're armed with. These are our weapons, is faith and a good conscience. Now, I want to also point this out, that the words to hold, or your Bibles might render it as holding on to faith and good conscience means to lay hold of a thing or to own or possess for oneself. I'm going to possess this for myself. Now, the word faith, say faith, the word faith there in the text is not talking about saving faith, okay? It's talking about the objective truth of God's word. It's talking about sound, right, correct doctrine. Got it? And this is why we need to read it, why we need to study it, why we need to know it, why we need to memorize it, and why we need to protect it. Follow me. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, young man, listen, young man, I know you're young. You're young in the ministry. When you're, when you're facing these spiritual battles, Paul's telling Timothy, okay, you need to fight them in faith. You, you need to fight them from a place of sound, right, correct doctrine. You need to hold on to the truth of God's word. You need to defend the faith at all costs and keep the doctrine of the church free from error and absolutely pure at all times. Amen? And you see, if we are to fight the good fight as believers, we must continually hold on to the Word of God. A good fight means holding on to the faith, right? It means keeping the faith, sound doctrine, the Word of God. But it also means holding on to or keeping a good conscience. Say good conscience. And we know that the, the word conscience simply means to know with, to know with, to know with. 
that inward judge that bears witness of our actions. And Timothy was to lay hold on the things which, which he knew were right and true, and he was to live his life according, get this now, to the conviction of Scripture. Got it? So according to the Word of God, in order to, for anyone to fight the good fight, which God classifies as a good fight, the conscience must be good. In other words, listen now, the conscience must square with and be shaped by the Word of God. Say square with, say shaped by the Word of God. You see, a good conscience is a synonym for an obedient heart which wants to do what God says is right. A good conscience, one which squares with God's Word or shaped by God's Word, keeps us sensitive to God's voice. Amen? Listen, listen. Christians who fight the good fight will have a conscience that is sensitive to God's voice, sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, sensitive to God's Word. It will guide and govern them, and their conscience will be yielded to the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit prompts the conscience to do something or not to do something, they obey it. Amen? You guys with me on this? And that's what Paul is talking about here in the text. Whenever God speaks, okay, and you, and you know what he tells you to do, regardless of your flesh, regardless of your feelings, you obey what God says to do. Amen? That's the way to maintain a good conscience. Amen? Make sure that it's shaped by the word of God, that it squares with the word of God. So a good conscience is the discipline of the mind and the will that says, I will follow God. No matter what my flesh says or what my feelings say, I will follow God's word and do what he tells me to do. Amen? I also want to say this. To thrust away a good conscience is to open the door to sin and Satan. And it becomes a defiled conscience and ultimately could become a seared conscience. And when it becomes a seared conscience, okay, it becomes one without spiritual sensitivity to God's word at all. You guys get that? So you guys ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. Our conscience must be shaped by God's word. Bottom line, there it is. Not culture, not my opinion, okay, not philosophy or our feelings, but God's word. Amen? Listen, a life that's not centered in or shaped by God's word has no spiritual framework to guide their conscience. Therefore, if we do what we think is right based on our conscience without a clear word from God, we will be headed straight for a shipwrecked faith. And this is a dangerous place to be. It is. It becomes a conscience that says, I don't care what the Bible says. It's dangerous. That's a seared conscience, a conscience that has become insensitive to God's word, to God's voice, making sin easier and repentance more difficult, slipping away into wrong living. We need to guide and shape our conscience with the word of God. That's why we need to be in the word of God daily. Amen? You see, we will not fight the good fight if we throw away the weapons that's been provided for us. Right? To safely engage in the battle. What are those weapons? Faith, doctrine, correct doctrine, right, and a good conscience. A conscience that's guided, shaped by the Word of God. 
guys getting this? So what happens, what happens if we give up sound doctrine? What happens if we compromise our conscience? Well, I'm glad you asked. Point number two here, the casualties. We saw the charge, now we see the casualties. Let's look at verse, verse 19b. Some have rejected these. Say these. Rejected these. The these is referring to what? Faith and a good conscience. You guys got that? They rejected God's word, God's, God's word, true, sound, correct doctrine, and a conscience shaped by God's word. They rejected that, the very weapons provided for them to safely engage in battle. Listen, friends, the moment we reject the very weapons provided for us to safely engage in the battle, our good fight stops. It stops. Our ship is out of control. And when our ship is out of control, the result is this. Let's read on. And so have shipwrecked their faith. You get that? Because they have rejected God's word, rejected true, correct, sound doctrine, because they have strayed from a healthy doctrine, right? They have strayed from a conscience shaped by the word of God. Because of that, they have suffered a shipwrecked faith. You see, these people, and you got to get this, these people, okay, these are people who know the truth. They know the truth. But because they have not chosen to obey it, they not only have wandered away, they have eventually damaged their faith. And they start believing wrong instead of right. Now, here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Not fighting the good fight leads to a shipwrecked faith. Very simple here, right? Not fighting the good fight leads to a shipwrecked faith. Listen, if we walk away from the truth, if we reject it, don't apply it, and don't listen to it, our faith will be, by God's assessment, totally shipwrecked. As Christians, we shouldn't just be good soldiers, but we, ought to gotta, we also got to be good sailors. <laughs> Amen? All right, we got to na- be good navigators. Okay? And we're, able to na- we're able to navigate by God's word and a good conscience. Can someone say Amen? Now, notice Paul names names. I love that, right? Bad doctrine had found its way into the church, and Paul identified those who were spreading false doctrine. And Paul, and I love this about Paul, he was never afraid to point out opponents of the truth by name. He names names. Look at verse 20a. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander. So both these guys, both these guys wound up where they were because they pushed away, they rejected the truth, and turned to error. It was an intentional intentional turning from the truth. They didn't maintain a conscience shaped by the Word of God. That being said, the move from truth to error doesn't just happen instantly. It doesn't, okay? No one wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll just throw away my testimony, and I think I'll just throw away my influence today. You know what? I think I'll just get out of the will of God. No. No. It's far more subtle than that. We fall away when we allow sin to go unchallenged in our lives. We fall away when we seek to rationalize our sinfulness and backslidden condition. 
We fall away when we fail to allow God's word, fail to allow God's word to penetrate and purify our hearts. When we fail to allow his word to rule and reign richly within our hearts. That being said, this could be a good time, a real good time for all of us to look closely at our lives and ask ourselves, okay, what are we tolerating? Listen, Christians, what are we tolerating in our lives that needs to go? Where have we slacked up? What have we ceased to do? What small changes, listen now, what small changes have taken place in our lives since that time when we were close to God and on fire for Him? What changed? What has kept us from being on fire for Him? And you see, those things can and will lead to a shipwrecked faith if they're not dealt with immediately. And this is exactly what happened to these two guys. The result is a shipwrecked faith. These are the guys who were causing trouble in the Ephesian church. And Paul, Paul mentions this guy, Hymenius, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, where Hymenius had been teaching that Jesus had already come back. And then Paul also mentions this guy, Alexander, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. And he says this about Alexander. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. William McDonald said this, Those who had made shipwreck of their faith were true believers, but they simply had not maintained tender conscience. Their Christian life had started out like a gallant ship putting out to sea, but instead of returning to port with banners waving a full cargo, they had floundered on the rocks and brought shame on themselves and their testimony. Okay, now what Paul now does, Paul now shows Timothy, he shows us, all believers, the results of spiritual, of spiritual shipwrecks. You guys ready? Look, look at verse 20b, the last part of verse 20. Whom I have handed over to who? Come on, say it. Satan, to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, when we read this statement, the statement Paul makes, seems it seems extreme, and sometimes it could even seem harsh, right? But he uses that phrase to, to, to speak of church discipline. Say, say church discipline. That, that phrase handed over to Satan means to excommunicate or to exclude from the fellowship. Now, there was purpose, a purpose, behind Paul's discipline. He wanted these two guys to not learn to blaspheme. That, that they too would recognize their error in sin and repent. Now, this isn't the only time Paul did this. Back in, in second, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we, we covered this in our series in 1 Corinthians, Undivided, right? You guys might remember this. Back in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul had to, hand over a church member, a dude, a young man, to Satan. He had to excommunicate and exclude a man from the fellowship. This man was sleeping with his dad's wife. You guys with me? And Paul addressed the immediate problem of sin within the church because news had reached Paul of immorality in the church. In fact, Paul not only, get this now, only exposes the man's sin, but also the church's sin because the church refused to discipline this man. Now, now keep in mind, this is the, the final step, say final step, 
of church discipline given from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to read it to you, okay, because this is the Bible. This is the Word of God. Amen? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Say amen to that. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even, even to hear the church, let him be to you. Listen to what he says, like a heathen and a tax collector. This is the method that Jesus dictated and what the early church practiced. And this is the, the most extreme type of discipline a local church can give to a professing Christian in sin who refuses to repent. Are you guys with me? You see, the unrepented Christian, this is it, this is it. Follow me now. The unrepented Christian, while away from the body of Christ, away from fellowship, will find him or herself miserable, sensing that they cannot live without the fellowship of God's people. You guys with me? Get this. A true Christian, say true Christian, will truly repent when excommunicated or excluded from the fellowship. Why? Because they miss the fellowship. Amen? And you see the goal, the goal, the goal for church discipline should always be to see bad doctrine corrected and ungodly lives straightened out. Amen? Listen, Paul spoke a lot about love of the fellowship. And there should be love in the fellowship, right? He spoke a lot about the unity of the body of Christ. But that, but that truth, but that truth, Paul says, but that truth, truth and unity could never be separate. They're together. Truth and unity come together. Say, so come together. And Paul made it very clear that true unity was always based on truth. Amen? He was all about protecting the church because a divisive person threatens the unity of the church. Now, I want to say this. As your pastor, I love you. I truly do. And I have a great responsibility as your pastor to study God's word, to give you good food. My responsibility is to guide you, guide you in and through God's word. And not only to guide you, but to guard you from false doctrine. Amen? Because that's the shepherd's heart. And that should be every pastor's heart. That my utmost responsibility, yeah, is to love you, but loving you is to guide you and to guard you. Amen? And that's Paul's heart. Paul had a pastor's heart. Amen? Unity is always based on the Word of God. Amen? Lesson, you guys ready for the lesson? Tough love. <laughs> Say that. Tough love. You know, sometimes, sometimes we have the mindset that if we love someone, then we let them do whatever they want to do, okay, and just put up with it. Some people have that mindset. The whole reason for disfellowshipping, the whole reason for excommunicating is restoration. Say restoration. So that they will come to the knowledge of their sin and repent and be restored. It's not punitive, it's restorative. Now, by the way, 
The guy back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who was sleeping with his daddy's wife, guess what? He repented and came back to the fellowship. Amen? That's the goal, okay? And if they're true believers, they'll come back and say, I'm sorry, I sinned against God and against the church, and I want to come back to the fellowship. And that was Paul's heart with Hymenius and Alexander. So as we wrap this up, are we fighting the good fight? Because you're in a fight. I mean, you are. Do you have your gloves on? Huh? Are you ready to fight? Let me ask you this. Are you obeying God's word? Are you standing and knowing, studying, and living by correct, sound doctrine? Let me ask you this. Are you guarding your faith? Are you guarding your faith? Are we shaping our conscience with God's word? Are we? And if the answer is yes, then we will be victorious in the battle. <laughs> Someone say amen. <laughs> right? If the answer is no, if it's no, then we're not going to be victorious in the battle. And it's time to get it right with God to avoid a shipwrecked faith. Amen? So let me ask you this. Okay? Are you fighting? Fight or fall? Fight or fall? What's it for you? And if we are believers, we're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. Even when we're discouraged, we're going to fight. Even when times are hard, we're going to fight. Even when the enemy's attacking us, we're going to fight. We're going to fight, fight, fight until the good Lord calls us home. Amen? Be a soldier and a sailor for the kingdom of God. Let's all stand.